This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. Joined by Justin Verlander getting the ball on opening day. Steve Sparks here, and I'm with Lance McCuller. Tons of interviews. Robert Ford joined by Michael Brantley. Alex Bregman. Carlos Correa returning to the lineup today. Highlights. That is line in the right field, and that's going to get down for a base hit. High and deep, and it's gone. A grand slam. Follow your favorite team. Subscribe to the Astros podcast. We definitely love playing in front of our fans in Minute Park. <laughs> For the H. They never said it would be easy. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. So glad you could join us for another Astros podcast. I'm Robert Ford, along with Steve Sparks, your radio broadcasters for the Houston Astros. And, uh, you know, we're recording this on Thursday. was supposed to be opening day for the Major League season. Obviously, it is not. And again, our, our thoughts go out to, to all of those who are dealing with all of the effects of this uh, coronavirus pandemic, and especially to the people in healthcare and, and the, the people who are, who are actually affected by this disease. Even though we know what's, what's going on in the world and, and why it's not opening day, you know, kind of tugs at the heartstrings for you and me and everybody who, who loves baseball. Well, it does. Yeah, we miss it. And we miss being around the people. We miss being around the game. We miss talking about the game and learning and creating memories that we've been able to do pretty much our whole lives. So uh, without baseball right now, uh, there just feels like there's a little something missing. But uh, we know that there's uh, the great things ahead, especially for this Astros team. And uh, we can't wait to get back. Well, we're pleased to be joined on this podcast by Astros general manager James Click. Obviously, uh, his circumstances are a lot different than he thought they would be when when he took over the Astros job under unique circumstances, as it turned out. We had a chance to, to catch up with James Click on this Thursday and uh, had, a, had a great conversation with him. So, James, uh, I think you've had maybe the most interesting two months of a general manager in Major League history. I mean, you got hired, you know, eight days before pitchers and catchers reported. Uh, coming into a pretty unique situation, trying to learn the organization. And and then, you know, a monkey rich gets thrown into everything with this pandemic and spring training camps being closed. So, uh, you know, what have the, the last few weeks been like for you just trying to get a handle on, you know, being in a new organization and also trying to get a handle on, on what's next for the Astros and Major League Baseball? Yeah, it's a, a really good question. Um, the last two months have felt like uh, two or three years. Um, even even before everything started going um, haywire globally, um, just trying to find my feet, uh, get accustomed to a new roster, get accustomed to a new organization so early and so quickly in spring training. I know I've used the expression drinking from a fire hose a lot, and it definitely felt like that. It's interesting talking to people around around the 
community around the game and how much they talk about how quickly things have changed in the past two to three weeks for everybody with how coronavirus has upended all of our lives. Not that it was in any way comparable to what I was going through, but it wasn't quite the same shock to the system, I think, for me, just because I had been so uprooted and up and upended by the, the personal change and trying to get a, a feel for the roster. Um, it obviously just ramped it up to 11. Uh, and so we're all we're all dealing with it and we're all getting used to the idea that information is coming in quickly and we're having having to react even more quickly to that. Um, but I don't know how to possibly describe it. If anybody has had a similar start to their career in one of these jobs, I would love to talk to them and get some advice because we're all definitely learning on the fly here. So what have your days looked like? Has it been every day has been Groundhog Day? Has every day been different? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, you've been at home, but uh, there's, there's still plenty of work that has to be done. Yeah, we joke a lot in spring training that it feels like Groundhog Day because you lose track of what day of the week it is. You lose track of how long you've been there. Um, the only thing that you're really aware of is kind of how many days you have until opening day. And so... This, I think, from talking to friends who, who aren't in baseball, is kind of creating the same environment for a lot of people where every day feels very, very similar and you lose that that pace of time, you lose the feeling of the passage of time. But we're all extremely, extremely busy. Um, I spend more time on the phone than I think I ever have in my entire life and just trying to develop those relationships and build the relationships with the people here at the Astros is, is priority number one. And in a lot of ways, this is giving us an opportunity to catch up on some of the stuff that I think I would have been able to do uh, with the staff here over a normal off season. So not that it's a good thing in any way, it's certainly not, but if there's a silver lining to the cloud hanging over the entire world, it's that you know we are getting to, to connect. Obviously, there's no substitute for doing it in person, but we do a lot of phone calls, we do a lot of uh, Zoom conferences and Skype and all the other technology companies that are out there. So right now it's entirely about relationship building and moving forward on a lot of off-season projects that we didn't have a chance to complete. And James, how many of those conversations uh, are with the Major League Baseball offices trying to uh, get a handle on plan A, B, C, and D? Not as many as you'd expect. Mm. A, a lot of it is the negotiations are very much handled by the commissioner's office, and we try to keep a finger on the pulse of things to figure out which way things are going. But by and large, those are handled you know, by, by the commissioner's office and, and they keep us in the loop when, when we need to. Um, but we're very focused on what we can do internally for our own players and our staff to make sure that they have everything that they need to get through you know, what hopefully will only be an, another you know, six to eight weeks or something like that. Um, but we just, we don't know. We don't know how long this is gonna last. And so we try to keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on. Uh, globally with the, the league and the Players Association. But by and large, we're focused on internally just making sure that our players have what they need and our staff have what they need. And I know you're concerned with everybody's health, but do you have a sense of, of how some of the players are, are staying ready in case uh, things turn pretty quickly if things go really well? Yeah, they've been exceptionally diligent and we're trying to balance the the rare and to go feeling and the wanting to stay as ready as possible so that when we get the green light to ramp this up, we can do it as quickly as possible with not burning out. Um, and there, you know, some of them have workout facilities and, and cages at their houses. Some of them have, you know, continued to come into uh, the facilities that we provide. 
But we're also having to take into account the restrictions that the CDC and the government and the cities are putting in place about large gatherings. And so we're doing everything we can to make sure that players are are screened before they come into any facility. Um, we take their temperature. We make sure they don't have any symptoms. We're in very regular contact with them, making sure that, that they and their family members uh, don't have any symptoms. And we are doing just repeated and aggressive deep cleans of all of the facilities around the organization to make sure that if guys are, are coming in there that we can say as, as much as we possibly can that this is a, a virus-free facility. Obviously, there's no perfect solution here, but we are trying to balance their needs to continue to work out and continue to stay ready with the requirements to not gather a lot of people together and to make sure that we do the proper screenings and the proper cleanings to, to prevent the spread of the virus. I had imagine there's a, an added complication with some of the guys who are recovering from injuries. You know, Justin Verlander had the lat injury in spring training and then had the, the groin surgery last week. And in a timetable was six weeks for him where Hilly Armenteros had that that elbow surgery earlier this month to remove a bone spur and, you know, projected to be out for months. So has it posed challenges, not just with those two players, but with other players who are working their way back from injuries? Because, you know, normally, obviously, you, you have regular communications with the players and the trainers and that sort of thing. Uh, how has this uh, change that, if at all? Obviously, it's created tremendous complications across, you know, our entire lives. And so the rehab players are another area where it does create some sort of difficulty because those guys do need hands-on attention and they do need trainers to be present to help them continue to recover from their injuries. But that's why we have these policies in place and the restrictions in place on the number of people that can be there. We rotate staff through to make sure that we don't have large gatherings of staff and we, we rotate players through on a schedule to make sure that they don't all come in at the same time. Normally during the, uh, a normal life, a uh, normal regular season, a normal spring training, there would be five, six, seven players in the trainer's room at the same time getting attended to. And now if you walk in there, which I don't because we're trying to reduce the number of people, uh, you know, you, you will see probably one trainer and one player. And then when that guy's done, you, you clean everything and then you get another guy to come in. And we're just trying to do everything we can to get that recidivism rate or whatever that our number is with the virus down below below one so that we can get past this thing and flatten the curve. So. Yeah, it creates problems in any uh, part of life, and, and the rehab is definitely no different. Have there been issues with some guys in terms of, you know, going home and having access to facilities or workout equipment and things of that nature to just try and, and be in shape and, and do things to, to, to make sure that they're ready whenever this resumes? I'm sure there have. Um, I have had active conversations with quite a few of the major league players, fewer with the minor league guys, but I think you've seen guys getting pretty creative. We've seen the video of, uh, of Bregman and Presley, I think, out in the street just throwing the ball around. Um, you know, I, there are players out there that are doing what they can. Um, obviously, minor league players probably probably don't have access to the same facilities that, that some of the major league players do, and there are limits to what we can provide, um, just in terms of the directives that we've been given by Major League Baseball and the governments on you know, how many players can stay in spring training, you know, how many players have to go home. Um, so we'll obviously check in with them and do what we can, but in a lot of ways, our hands are tied, not just by um, you know, Major League Baseball, but by the restrictions that are in place across the country and the world. 
Hey, James, there was a, an article in the Houston Chronicle about a week and a half, two weeks ago about you that Chandler Rome wrote. And, and one of the things that caught my attention was that when you were in college at Yale, you and your roommate were, were in the dorm rooms and you were talking about wanting to be uh, a baseball GM someday. And you spent 14 years in Tampa Bay. Uh, at what point did you feel like you were ready to become a general manager? <laughs> Uh, when I get there, I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> I, it's uh, I've been up close and, and and seen up close and personal kind of what the job entails. Um, working you know alongside Andrew Friedman, working alongside Matt Silverman, and later Eric Neander. Um, you, you never fully appreciate what what goes into this job, and, and I don't think that I do either. Uh, I'm still pretty uncomfortable with uh, Chandler's piece. Feels like sort of inappropriate given everything else that's going on in the ah. in the world but um you know it was it was obviously uh flattering for him to write that um but you know i i don't think in any way shape or form that i've got this thing figured out and in a lot of ways that's a good thing i mean you want to you want to know that there are still things that you can learn and still things that, that you can do better and there's improvements to be made um you know if if i had this whole thing figured out there wouldn't be a whole lot of upside so I'm learning every day, just like all of our staff are in their jobs, and we're all just trying to get a little bit better. But uh, yeah, you know, when I uh, when I feel like I've got it figured out, I'll let you know, and then I want you guys yeah. to tell me that that I don't actually have it figured out and remind <laughs> me that uh, that there, there's probably no real figuring out these jobs, especially with everything that's going on right now. Well, you were probably about ten years old when Bull Durham came out, and you grew up in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, was that part of the buzz growing up when, uh, about the minor league ballpark? Did that spark an interest for you? Oh, I, it didn't spark it. I we were already going there. Um, that mm. that was the ballpark that I grew up in. Um, my dad, uh, you know, his his company had a, a box uh, right there by the visitors' dugout on the third base side, and uh, you know, those are my earliest memories of baseball, of of just being there and you know watching the the players and, and being up close to the to the guys it was the Braves single a franchise at the time and we would have you know Kinston and Winston Salem and Fredericksburg and all those Carolina League teams come through there um, that's that's the baseball that I grew up so yeah Bull Durham came through and and there was a a radio call uh, for extras if people wanted to come out and, and be extras and I remember my dad hearing about it but then we found out that they would film from like 8 at night until 4 in the morning and wow. so and it was it was December um, so ultimately didn't end up being an extra uh, in the movie but um, yeah we knew something was, was being filmed out there and it was a lot of fun to see the, the park that you go to watch games in actually up there on the big screen yeah that is that is pretty cool and you know, growing up in Durham, North Carolina, obviously the you know the baseball you were most exposed to in person was 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 minor league baseball. What was your exposure like growing up to to the major leagues? Did you have a favorite team? Did you, did you have a favorite player? What what was that like for you? I didn't really have a, a team nearby. I mean, Baltimore was about a five hour drive, and Atlanta was about a five hour drive, and so you know the focus there was minor league baseball and obviously college basketball. Um, you know, when I was when I was growing up, my dad took me to Fenway when I was three or four years old, and apparently the Red Sox lost. And I asked him after the game if the United States was still a free country, even though the Red Sox lost. So 
I, you know, I, I'm not sure I fully grasped, uh, you know, the importance of, of baseball and, and what was really going on. But, um, you know, we went to big league parks when I was growing up. We went to Shea Stadium. Um, you know, I, I interned for a summer in Atlanta. Um, so I went to a bunch of Braves games there and got out when I could. And obviously during college, it was pretty easy to get over to the city and, and take in some some Yankee games. So didn't really have a team because there wasn't really one nearby and there wasn't, you know, a, a, a fan base that you were sort of pulled into. Uh, you either got dragged into Duke basketball or Carolina basketball and, and everything else was pretty secondary. You know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, in college kind of, you know, thinking about this was something you wanted to do. When did it, you think, all right, well, baseball, this is something I really enjoy. This is this is a potential career for me or something that I know I want to be involved with. Was it college or was it before that? I think it depends on who you ask. I think a lot of people seem to think that I was more sure about this earlier than I recall being. Um, I think like a lot of kids, as soon as I stopped playing, I wanted to stay close to sports as, as all of us do. And, and sometimes that means writing or broadcasting or or being in a front office. I mean, my friends and I wanted to be sports center anchors like everybody did. You know, we wanted to be Dan Patrick and Kenny Mayne. And, um, you know, that seemed like something to try. And, and I, you know, that seemed honestly harder than, than getting into a front office in a lot of ways. So um, I'm not exactly sure kind of when it really crystallized as something that I might be able to do for a career, especially because, you know, I was – I was just one of those kids that you see at the winter meeting standing around with a stack of resumes, hoping to run into somebody, hoping to recognize somebody. And I don't think that there's honestly all that much difference right now between me and those kids, other than the fact that I got lucky and I got in, I got some experience. So, um, you know, I'm not sure exactly when it seemed like something that could be a, a career, but it definitely took a while because it is a it is a hard business to, to get into. I and mean, you, you guys know this. Everybody who's in here knows it. Uh, and I think that we all appreciate just how lucky we are. Um, mm. So it never feels like something that's real until all of a sudden it is. Hey, one of the, the managers that you got to be around during your tenure with the Tampa Bay Rays was Joe Madden. And we've gotten to know him quite a bit. And, and I think a lot of people have really respected a lot of his ideas. What was his influence like with you being around him uh, in your early days? Joe is a a free thinker, and nothing is off the table with Joe. And he keeps it light, and he keeps it fresh, and he recognizes that over the course of 162 and hopefully more than 162 games, that you know you can get into a routine or things can get you know not boring, but, you know, you get into that, you know, Groundhog Day, like we talked about earlier, and, and his ability to, to keep it fresh and keep it light was, was something that I really admired, and, and his openness to anything, his openness to to new information, to new thoughts, to new perspectives, I mean, that, that culture at the Rays was very similar to, I think, what we've got here at the Astros, where everybody recognizes that you know, we're going to have to think about things differently than the other 29 teams to keep the edge and to keep our advantages. And so um, just watching the way that Joe processed information and then communicated it was something that um, that I have always tried to take to heart. And James, that kind of leads me into to what I wanted to talk about with uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred speaking yesterday to, to the press. And, and he talked about the role baseball can play in the nation's healing. Uh, and he said one thing that really caught my eye. And that was that there might be some experimentation. And I don't know what that means exactly, and I'm not sure anybody does, but you're thinking about maybe trying to do some 
things differently. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I'm willing to to do anything that they want to do to get us back out in the field. And if that means uh, different schedules, if that means bringing some of the rules from the minors in terms of seven inning double headers or the extra inning rules that they've tried out down there, uh, if it means changing up the schedule, if it means changing up the playoff formats, we're ready for any of it. Uh, the priority for us right now, obviously, other than making sure that we get as many people healthy as possible and we test as many people in this country as we possibly can, you know, getting past the the, the spike and flattening the curve, if, if we can get baseball out there sooner by being creative and by, you know, coming up with new ways to think about the schedule and new ways to think about the way that, um, that we watch baseball or consume baseball, I think any of us are open to anything. And, you know, they, they say, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, well, we have a, a real necessity here. And so hopefully somebody can come up with a good invention so we can get back out there and, and start getting back to normal life. So, James, how much these days do you use the history degree that you got from Yale? One of the things about Yale that I remember very distinctly is the we all we all got there. And the, uh, the guy at the time was a man named Dean Broadhead, who's now at Duke University. And he gave a speech about learning how to learn and how and resourcefulness and how they were going to teach us to to be resourceful so that we could always add new skills and learn new things and the history degree for me was was a lot of fun i had no intention of going to grad school and so just wanted to take classes that i found interesting the skills that you pick up at yale uh or the least that i picked up were, were a lot of those things that he talked about in that opening speech my my freshman year about being resourceful and learning so I don't know how much I use the the history degree on a day to day basis, but you know I think all of us who wherever we have learned how to learn and learn how to add new skills and to keep improving, uh, we we use those things every day. Getting into Yale, let alone getting a degree from Yale, is uh, a major accomplishment in, in anyone's life. Getting into any Ivy League school, uh, what was that process like for you? Was was did you kind of know this was a situation you wanted to be in and, and that 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 was possible for you how did how did that all transpire for you well without doing too much navel gazing um it, it was it was something that i i always welcome challenges and i think a lot of us in this game and, and a lot of us in, in any walk of life want to be challenged and want to be pushed um that was the main appeal to me was to go someplace new um different part of the country you know, I roomed my freshman year with people from Tokyo and Turkey and, you know, all over the world and, and the country. And just I got challenged there about a lot of things that I thought that I knew and thought that I believed. And it made me reflect a lot on on things that, that I thought that I knew. And I think that's true for all of us. You know, we, we all want to be challenged. We all want to, to constantly improve. And so, you know, that was it for me. And in a lot of ways, it's not dissimilar to the switch from, from the Rays to, to the Astros, where you go from um, one reality and, and one set of problems to a, a very different reality. And, and you kind of want to see what translates. What are the things that you learned, you know, in one place that you will hold on to? And what are the things that, that you want to change? And, you know, I don't think that's unique to, to me or to people who, who went to Yale or Ivy League schools or anything like that. I think it's just it was just about the, the challenge and the opportunity for growth. And I think all of us um, at the Astros and, and at the Rays and, and across a lot of walks of life, we're all always looking for that. Hey, I got a little challenge for you, James. You like to be challenged. Spell the last name of Mike Shashevsky. 
KZYZ. Oh man, I'm gonna get it. Yeah, right. that, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's oh man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's exactly man. right. All right, hold on, hold on. I'll, get, let, I'll let you. Me... I'll let you Google it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think just as so long as you just you just say K, you're probably fine. <laughs> well, uh, James Click, I know you, you have a lot going on, and obviously this is a, a trying time for for everyone, regardless of of what you're doing. Um, so we certainly appreciate you taking some time to, to speak with us and and uh, and connect with us. Absolutely, guys. I, I appreciate it. And hopefully the next time we talk, we have a lot more normalcy and a lot more baseball to look forward to. I'm Robert Ford, along with Steve Sparks, your radio broadcasters for the Houston Astros. And uh, are you washing your hands? I'm washing my hands off. Now, I, I, <laughs> I've never washed my hands more than I, I am right now. It's probably three, four times an hour, you know, and I, I'm really – uh, keeping it to the, the at least the 22nd rule right now. Uh, I actually saw Dr. Oz on TV describe how they do it and how they learned in medical school how to scrub uh, uh, as well as they could. And uh, so I'm trying to do what Dr. Oz says. Uh, how are you passing your time? Well, not by watching Dr. Oz, I can tell you that. But I'm glad you learned. I'm glad you learned something. Uh, yeah, I uh, I think like a lot of people, you know, staying inside have been. I've been reading quite a bit, um, you know, online and and nonfiction. I know the last time I was on one of these podcasts, I talked about the Supreme Court book I'm reading, The Brethren by Bob Woodward and Scott Armstrong, which I'm still working my way through. Oh, and you text you text me the other day to watch this freaky thing on Netflix that I started <laughs> yesterday, and I wish I wish I could uh, I could put my fist through this microphone right now for, for making me watch that. Oh, uh, Tiger King on Netflix. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a what a crap show that is. <laughs> yeah, that um. It, and it's one of those things. So it's seven episodes for those who may not be familiar with it. And it's on Netflix and it came out pretty recently. And it's about, it really focuses on, on one guy named Joe exotic, but it's really about, uh, these group of, I mean, misfits really, uh, who are really into, uh, these exotic animals and especially the big cats, the tigers and the lions and, and the cheetahs and things like that. And, and have them on display in, in various various places. Uh, and yeah, it's a cast of characters. There's a lot of intrigue. There's rivalries. Uh, uh, one of them is in jail right now. I mean, it's it's pretty Shocker. crazy. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker <laughs> um, that Joe Exotic would end up in jail. It, it really, yeah. Sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, you know but <laughs> hey, if you got if you got uh, six hours to kill, that's the show. I mean, that's the show that's going to keep you engaged because you can't believe what you're watching, and your your mouth will be wide open watching this one. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you stay safe out there. Make sure you're washing your hands. We certainly hope to be uh, back on your radio talking Astros baseball real soon. Houston. We know these are uncertain and unprecedented times, but we will get through this. We will get through this together. Together. It is important that we all take the necessary steps to ensure safety of our loved ones and our community. You're the best fans in baseball. The best. And we love you. We love you. Baseball will be back. And we cannot wait to see you. Stay safe, Houston. For the H. It's for the H. Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. 